waking up to the sound of someone banging at my door. And as I opened the door, I realized it's my ex-girlfriend. I'm trying to figure out why she's here. As I opened the door, she's like, oh, Herbie, why do you look like that? Why do you smell like that? I'm trying to decide if I should tell her the truth because every male told me I can't be weak. I can't be vulnerable. I have to man up. And then she uttered these words, I love you. I'm here for you. So I decided to tell her the truth. This is the third day in a row I attempted suicide. And honestly, it would have been the fourth, but you didn't come knock. Instantly, she starts crying. She hands me the phone and tells me to call a suicide prevention lifeline number. So I did. As I'm on the phone speaking to the counselor, she says, sir, on a scale of one to 10, how do you feel today? As I replied to negative 10, to be honest with you, this is the first time in my life I don't trust myself by myself. Hey, welcome back to Normalize the Conversation. Today, I'm here with Herbie Mack, a suicide prevention speaker, multi-time suicide survivor, and host of the Just Believe podcast. Herbie, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you really? I'm good. I'm good. I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. How are you doing, friend? Of course. You know what? I've been better. I'm just getting over um, COVID, and it dehydrates your body. So, of course, my mouth got so dehydrated water see I don't drink enough of it and it's like I've cut all the sides of my mouth from like my lips drying so much so talking actually hurts but I'm really excited to be here and recording with you so you made talking a lot better tonight oh thank you I'm glad that you got out of you know the negative space that you was in with COVID I know it it damages the body and it can dehydrate you and make you feel like trash to say the least. So, but you look amazing. It looks like you're on a great road of recovery and I'm excited <laughs> for this conversation. Thank you. Me too. So I really want to know what inspired your journey to become a suicide prevention speaker? Honestly, um, checking myself into a mental health facility, um, the treatment there wasn't the best. So for me, it was like, man, I see why people don't want to go to like a therapist or a psychiatrist, right? And just being there, I don't know, it just inspired me to like share my story. You know, like every superhero has like a villain. And that was like my villain that inspired me to to help others um, not only share my story, but educate others about like the numbers and how sad and alarming it is of suicide. You know, one of them is like every 40 seconds, someone die by suicide. And it's like, wow, that's a lot. Um, and then not only that, like when you look at like males, right? Me being a male, I haven't seen anybody really express themselves. So like, I look at the numbers at that and you have guys that's dying at four times higher than females by suicide, right? And 50% of the people that die by suicide is from it using a gun, right? Because we have access to this and all that. So once I saw that, I was just like, no, like I have to not only share my story, but break the stigma of suicide prevention and also the stigma of just expressing yourself, I don't think like as a guy, I don't see that many guys express themselves. So like me doing that, I'm just like, well, if I can't find it on the internet, why not me be that person? I love that you want to be that person. You want to be that person that you needed for yourself, for others. And that's so incredible. And you spoke about your um, journey inside being in a behavioral health facility. I also didn't have a great experience with it. So I'd really love to hear your experience, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit more about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll share my story. Waking up to the sound of someone banging at my door. And as I opened the door, I realized it's my ex-girlfriend. I'm trying to figure out why she's here. 
As I opened the door, she's like, oh, Herbie, why do you look like that? Why do you smell like that? I'm trying to decide if I should tell her the truth because every male told me I can't be weak. I can't be vulnerable. I have to man up. And then she uttered these words. I love you. I'm here for you. So I decided to tell her the truth. This is the third day in a row I attempted suicide. And honestly, it would have been the fourth, but you didn't come knocking. Instantly, she starts crying. She hands me the phone and tells me to call the suicide prevention lifeline number. So I did. As I'm on the phone speaking to the counselor, she says, sir, I'm scared of one through 10. How do you feel today? As I replied a negative 10. To be honest with you, this is the first time in my life I don't trust myself by myself. So she recommended I check myself into a mental health facility. So I did. As I'm getting evaluated by a couple of nurses, one of the male nurses stopped me and said, sir, I, I don't know if you believe in God or not, but you don't belong here. He's going to use you to share your story to touch others. At the time, I had no idea what he was talking about. Honestly, I just wanted my pillow and my blanket and the head of my room and cry because no one thinks about attempting suicide, let alone checking himself into a mental health facility. A few moments later, I get evaluated by the psychiatrist that's running it, and he just glances at my file and says, okay, take this. At that moment, I realized how powerful my voice was. So I decided to speak up because I felt uncomfortable how he just told me to take something without a full conversation. I just want to put this out there. When people throw labels on you, please tell them labels are made for jars, not people. So since he didn't want to communicate with me, I just went back to the nurses. Since they kind of got me, they got that love language. And they recommend something called journaling. Had no idea what it was. It was one of the most powerful things that they recommended that I use to this day. And as I'm writing, I realized the trigger of my depression is my parents for the fact of they didn't teach me how to love myself. Here I am dating someone else hoping that they can teach me how to love myself. Sounds ridiculous every time I think about it. And also, as I kept writing, I realized I was a functional alcoholic. I was only drinking to numb the pain instead of trying to understand my pain. A few days pass by, another psychiatrist comes, reevaluates me, gives me the full exam, tells me I don't have bipolar. Since that's what the first psychiatrist recommended that I had, she did a proper test. So the power of standing up is key. So she let me leave. She recommended I go see therapy. Fran, I'm not going to lie to you. I was broke. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. When you look at the prices of therapy, I didn't have it. So I went to good old Google and type in how to love yourself. I discovered something called positive affirmations. Since I was in dire need, so I'm going to take it to the extreme. I had sticky notes everywhere from my bedroom to the mirror in the bathroom to the refrigerator to even in my car. And then I did something I'd never done before. I looked in the mirror and told myself, you're in love. You're smart. You would change the world one day but you just have to believe. After that, I got a big marker, put just believe. Some of my friends found out that I was in that place and they wanted to celebrate. They wanted to turn up since my nickname was Anything Possible for the fact of I love Hennessy so much. But then I also discovered something called boundaries. It's like, look, man, I can't hang out with you because once I start drinking, I turn into an incredible Hulk and I can't control that, man. So I just got to love you from far. And as I kept journaling, I discovered something that no one taught me the power of forgiveness. I had to forgive my parents for not teaching me how to love because I lost a sister who died from cancer at the age of three. So they was depressed. So then I had to forgive myself for damaging my body and trying to harm myself because I was depressed. I share this story because I personally went from hopelessness to happiness. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I forgot to 
tell you, if you ever asking or wondering whatever happened to that ex-girlfriend of mine, she is now my wife. She blessed me with two amazing kids. That is just a part of my story. Thank you, friend. I am so blown away by you and by your strength. That's not an easy journey. And from one multi-time suicide survivor to another, I just want to say that I am so proud of you for continuing on at a time when so many people can't and don't want to and don't. And that journey of learning to love yourself and learning to forgive yourself is one of the hardest things that you will ever have to do. And I am so proud of you for being able to do it and to use it to want to share your story with others and help others. So thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. You don't know how much that means to me, seriously. I am, there's so many things I want to touch on from your story. First of all, let's talk about being in the psych ward in the behavioral health facility. And right away, straight to looks at your file and then medication. And it's all based on an assumption. I had that same thing happen to me, except we're pretty opposite. So for me, they right away said, well, you're depressed. So you need an antidepressant. I live with bipolar two disorder, which means I live with bipolar depression, where most of my time is spent in depression, but I do have those ups to hypomania, which for me is just feeling really confident in myself. But an antidepressant will send me into a hypomanic episode. So I was forced to take an antidepressant that ended up making me worse. But I didn't know I could advocate for myself. I was afraid to advocate for myself. Would that mean that I was going to be stuck there longer? Would that mean that I would never get out? What would that mean for me? So I was afraid to use my voice. And you, on the other hand, knew that you could. How did you, what inside you made you realize that I can speak up, that it's my body and I don't think that's right for me. And I want to talk about it more. For me, um, I had nothing else to lose. <laughs> like at that point, it's like, you know, a wounded animal. Like you don't want to attack. and because he just glanced at my file and realized like I'm from the Bronx and, you know, and I quote people from the Bronx don't have a high IQ and they can't really read or write. So it was just like my entire life. I've been always with that, right. Being from the Bronx, people unfortunately treat people from the Bronx, like, like it's a third world world. And for me, I was just like, enough is enough. Like everybody that I was just, just in a negative place. And I was just like, enough is enough. What is, what is the worst thing that he can say to me? And then, like, I realized this. I volunteered myself, and I'm paying him for assistance. I am telling him, hey, I'm not comfortable with this. Are you listening? Can we do something else? And I, once he wasn't listening, I was like, no, like, we're done. We're done. It was like, and, and you know, I'm pretty calm and, and chill. And at that moment, it's just something inside of me was like, no, nah, just stand up for yourself. Like, that's enough. And for the, the whole time being there, I was there, unfortunately, for five days. And I was only supposed to be there for 72 hours because he told me that he was going to hold me there as long as possible he, until I take what he prescribed me. And this is key. I read everything that I signed when you like Baker Act yourself or whatnot. And it was saying that pretty much you, if you're not showing improvement, then they can keep you there. But I was doing the group therapies and all that other stuff that was there. And I was doing the group activities and communicating with the nurses. So it was like, 
I'm doing everything that, I'm, that is required of me. I'm just not taking that because I'm not comfortable with it. And for him to push against me was like something I never seen before. But I, I'm glad that he did because it showed how powerful I am. I love how you, first of all, reading what you're signing is so important. And we don't do that. We're so used to just like accepting the terms and conditions, never reading anything. So it's so natural that someone hands you a document in a medical setting and you just sign. And I think that's so huge that you took the time to actually read it and know what can keep you held and what couldn't. But then to also know that there's nothing else I could lose. I'm going to speak up for myself. I know it's not right. And I'm not going to let someone in power intimidate me. And so many people, I mean, I was one of them who are afraid to do that. What advice do you have for someone who, whether it's in a behavioral health facility, whether it's in therapy or to a doctor, just who wants to advocate for themselves and their health and their mental health, but is afraid to speak up against what they're telling them? Do it. Speak up. Just because it, it's like this. When you, when you go going to take your car in, right, for service, if you know, like, hey, I need an oil change, but this guy's selling you tires, what you going to do? You're like, yo, I, I didn't come here for tires. I'm leaving. I only came for an oil change. It's similar to that in, in that setting. If you're telling the psychiatrist, the counselor, the, the social worker, the therapist, if you're telling them, hey, I'm uncomfortable in this setting and you're not listening, then find another, another one that will. It's the power of love language, man. Like, it's not only just like a relationship of love language. It's like, we all have our own language. And if that person's not willing to understand you or get you, then you keep searching until you find that person. Like you are in control. You're paid paying them for a service, not the other way around. That is so true. Remembering that you are in control. I love that example you use because that happens to me all the time when you go and they try to sell you tires and you're like, I just need oil change. And that is something so relatable that we can apply to so many other avenues. If you know what you want, you know what you need, and someone's telling you something else, don't be afraid to speak up. You are absolutely incredible. I really want to jump over now to your sobriety journey. What was that aha moment for you that led to your decision that, you know what, I do become the incredible Hulk, like you said, when I'm drinking and I don't want to be that anymore. When I was in the place, um, when I was in that mental health facility or whatever, um, when I was writing, I was just like, man, it, it's like a, a triangle, right? Like, you know how you set up a triangle? The bottom was my behavior and then my thoughts and then the feelings. So I realized like when I was, when I was in there and I was feeling sad, my behavior was always to run to the liquor store, right? Because I thought it would make me feel better. And then once I was drinking, it was like, oh yeah, but it wasn't, it was triggering something. Here I am in my own apartment, punching the wall. What is wrong with me? Because of my, my trauma. I didn't know how to express myself. Like no one ever told me it was okay to express yourself. It was just always that moment of just, you know, trying to drink and being numb to my feelings. And I just had enough of it. And I was just like, why am I depressed? What is triggering it? Okay, now let me understand it. So for me, it was like, when I was journaling, I realized the pattern. And that's only because I had two different journals. One was just like expressing my emotion. And then the other one was looking at it, right? Um, my high school basketball coach used to always ask me, what is the weakest point of your game? What is the area that you need to improve on? And I was just like, dude, I don't know. Like I'm 14, 15, you tell me you're the coach. 
And he taught me how to identify the areas to improve on. So I took that method and I wrote in the journal for six months. And then I got another journal to analyze the areas that I need to improve on. And it was drinking. It was like, every time I noticed, man, I'm going to that liquor store four days out of the week, sometimes six, you know? And it was weird because like the guy that was, you know, the clerk, based off of the question that he asked me was always like, hey, how you feeling today, Herbie? And I'm just like, rough day, biggest bottle of Hennessy, <laughs> right? Just just like, and, and I, and it's like, oh, hey, how you feeling today? And I'm like, man, I'm feeling good. Not only did he give me like, a different kind of Hennessy it, like sometimes you have some exclusive white Hennessy like hey I got this for you man you feeling good Let's go. and it was just like I didn't realize like because I was going there that often he knew what I like which was great service but I had to cut that out and I had to realize like let me take a different route home it's going to take me 35 minutes longer to avoid that liquor store but guess what I'm breaking up that behavior I'm breaking up that pattern and stuff like that it is a really First of all, to be able to analyze your behaviors, to look at what do I do when I'm feeling sad and then understand it is alcohol. It goes straight to the alcohol. And now that is causing me to get angry, to punch the walls. I am not actually feeling better when I'm drinking. I am triggering something inside me. I'm triggering this pain, this depression that I have, and I need to get to the root cause. That is an amazing connection to be able to make, especially on your own through journaling. But I really love how you went out of your way to avoid the liquor store because that's not an easy behavior to change. When something has become your crutch and your coping mechanism, you rely on it. And cutting out that behavior is one of the hardest things you really have to do. And for you to decide, you know what, I'm not even going to tempt myself. I'm going to take the long way home to make sure that I'm not tempted that I really cut this behavior out is incredible. What were some of the biggest challenges you faced during that time? The power of no was the biggest challenge. I, you know, um, had a, you know, worked at an amazing job and I was one of the like more popular people there. And everybody always knew like, oh man, when Herbie comes out, man, everybody has a good time. Cause like, and when we're out about at the clubs or whatever, uh, you know, I'm buying like the bottles, the drinks, like it's all on me, whatever. And people see that good side and they don't see the side when I'm home flipping the furniture, punching the wall. And for me, I was kind of timid to say no to people because I was always in the clutch of like going to the dopest parties and having access to like hang out with some celebrities and stuff like that. And it was just like, no, I don't want that anymore. You know, I want my, I want to be happy. Like, yeah, I look happy on the outside, but internally, I want to be happy. Like, how does that look? I haven't seen that since I was a kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I want to see that now. And um, at learning to say no. And when I told my friends no and creating the boundaries, uh, I was just always rejecting them. You know, hey, let's go to the sports bar to watch, you know, football, basketball, whatever. Like, there's always some sport in event. Or let's go hang out or whatever. And I just kept saying no, no, no. Um, the first thing I... First thing I did uh, after being home, obviously, like, you know, leaving that place, I cried. And then I just looked at like my, my shelf and it was just all pretty much Hennessy, you name it. I had it. And um, I, I want to cry because I wasted a lot of money, but I pulled all of it because I didn't realize how much I spent overall, but I pulled all of it down the drain. I was just like, how can I get better? 
And I realized no one is going to save me, but me, like you have to become your own superhero. That is amazing. I love that. You have to be your own superhero. Going back to what you said though, about the power of no and learning to set boundaries with your friends. What was that like? Did it take you a while to say no? Did you feel uncomfortable the first time? Did they push back? What was that like? Yeah, it was, it was, I was uncomfortable, you know, cause I was always reliable. Like whatever, you don't realize how many clubs are open every day of the week, but I was pretty much there a minimum, you know, six days out of the week. You know, Sunday was like my recovery day. And for me doing that all the time, right. And not only hanging out with the same people, but I'm always hanging out with everybody, you know, a social butterfly. I had to learn how to be comfortable with just saying no without an excuse. Hey, why are you not coming? No. But but such and such, no, I don't I don't care. You know what I mean? I don't care if Beyonce is gonna be there. No, like I'm not going. Um, because I didn't want to be that same person that I was. That is learning to say no without explaining yourself. That is huge. And a lot of people struggle with that. I know for me personally, a lot of times someone asks me to do something and I'm saying no and giving a million reasons why I can't, and I'm like, but wait, no, like no is no. It's a full sentence. It applies to so many different things. And we've learned to have to feel like we have to defend ourselves and defend our no, because no isn't enough, but it is enough. What advice do you have for someone who wants to begin their own sobriety journey? I talk about this all the time. Small wins are still wins. I don't think people understand that. Uh, you know, we live in an area where you look at your phone and nobody posts their like low lights. They always post the highlights. And I had to learn to start small. Okay. I dumped out all the, the liquor. And I like, it's, it's sad to say, like, even once I did that, I was still having like hangovers, even though I wasn't drinking because of the withdrawal. And just being patient to just slowly one step at a time putting myself in a position to win started hanging out with people that um inspired me that that knew like hey i i don't trust myself with alcohol and i don't want to drink is it okay if we hang out and that was key like setting the the bar low enough to like feel accomplished but then also having that group support that understood okay he had something going on. Uh, it took me a while to to feel comfortable telling people about my skeletons, but being comfortable enough to say, "Hey, like this is why I'm not drinking. I I attempted, you know, such and such, and they got it." So always set the bar low, take the baby steps because there are still steps, but also having that group support. Like honestly, having that group support is key. That that understands you. That is incredible advice. Small steps are so important. Just one step in front of the other, one foot in front of the other. And then that network, that support system, people who value you for who you are and not for who they want you to be or who you used to be or the persona that they have of you. Actually valuing you as a human and respecting your boundaries is so important. Who make you feel inspired, who make you feel good. 
who help you learn how to love yourself by loving you the way you deserve. So switching over to self-love to you, what does it mean to love yourself? Oh, great question. First person ever asked me that. To me, it's understanding that you're not perfect, but understanding that you're still beautiful. I love that. That is so true. So coming from a place where you never learned how to love yourself to a place where you do now love yourself and you love yourself so much that you've set these boundaries that you go out of your way now to help others who are struggling. How, how did, what was that journey like? How did you learn to love yourself? Man, inner child, right? Um, some of us experience trauma at a young age. And you don't process it until you become an adult. And for some odd reason, you think like the adult and that like seven-year-old body that's like, man, I'm going to talk back to this person. And you relive that, right? And, and it's because of what you know, right? It's like, oh, but then I had to understand that the trauma that I was when I was a child, it's okay. Why am I putting so much pressure on a kid, right? Like, you're a kid. You don't even know what's going on yet. You're still trying to figure out how big the world is and forgiving my, my past, right? Hugging that kid. To, you know, I did something that I wrote a letter to myself, to my, to my child, my inner child. And it was a letter of like forgiveness and apologizing. And I sat on it for a while. And once I processed that feeling, I burned it. Right. And then after I burned it, I wrote a letter to that future child, which is that man that you are speaking to today. And that was like my piece. And I had to learn how to talk to myself positive, right? Because negative self-talk is self-harm. And I'm like, man, if I won't say it to a child, why would I say it to me? And that changed my whole perspective. Like everything just changed. It just changed instantly. It's so amazing when you reframe it. How would I talk to a loved one? How would I talk to a child? How would I talk to my friends? You would never be down on them the way you be down on yourself. We are taught to be our biggest critics, to criticize ourselves, to look at all the reasons why we're not good enough and where we can improve and to look back at your inner child and to just acknowledge all the pain and the pressure and the stress that they felt and forgive yourself for feeling that way for, I think there's a lot of guilt when you look back and you're like, how did I do that to myself? How did I let my inner child, my young self become so broken and feel so broken and not notice? How did I not love myself more? Why didn't I, why wasn't I there enough for myself? There's all these questions that go into it. So when you are reflecting back on that inner child, what were the three biggest things that you told that inner child? I'm sorry that you had to go through that. I love you. And your trauma doesn't, well, your past doesn't determine your future. I love that. And now switching over to your future self, what were the three biggest things you told your future self or you today? If you can believe it, and you can achieve it, right? Um, and letting go, letting go. And you are that person that you you want to be. And that helped me out. And also, 
honestly, you talked about the inner critic. Uh, I wanted to touch upon that. So I have an inner critic. I think we all do. But what helped me was to identify it, right? I gave it a name, uh, like Daffy Duck, something that I don't take serious. So when that inner critic starts talking to me, I don't even pay him any of mine because it's like Daffy Duck. You don't take him serious. So I talk down to him. And as I'm talking down to that inner critic, I am talking positive to that inner child. And it just, it's balanced out so, so well. I love that. You know, I did an episode over a year ago now with this guy named Jeremy Green. And he spoke about this, about giving your inner critic a name and about how your inner critic is really your fear. And it's talking down to you because it's trying to keep you safe. It's trying to keep you inside this comfort zone and keep you where you are. And acknowledging that you're there, but I don't have to listen to you. Giving it a name, making it a person. I think that was the most incredible thing I'd ever heard. And hearing you say that, I just, it was so powerful. And I started doing that to myself. And I realized how much this other person was talking to me and telling me who I was instead of letting everything around me show me who I was, my actions, my actual feelings, who I wanted to be. It was all masked by something else, some other voice that I let drown out everything else. But you also spoke a lot about self-forgiveness. So did you have to learn how to forgive your inner critic at all? Yeah, yeah, did. I did. I had to. So once I left uh, uh, the behavior center and, you know, I had to do a lot of reflecting on life, like why am I here? What's my purpose? And I did a trip to uh, New York. Um, My ex-girlfriend during the time, who is now my wife, uh, she was coming back. She was coming uh, to to back to Florida, whatever. And she needed help driving. I was a man of my word. So when I went there, um, I went to go see my sister who had died from, from cancer and being there, um, you know, I went to visit her grave and I was just there talking like to her because I needed someone to like, listen without judgment. And then I realized, why am I holding on to this? This is holding me back. All this pain and this trauma and, and being hard on myself because that inner critic is like in my ear, like, you're weak, you're weak. You didn't stand up to yourself. You didn't stand up for yourself when you was a child. You had moments to express yourself when you thought about like attempting suicide. You didn't. You could have told someone that you were struggling. You didn't. And it just kept yelling at me. And I'm just like, I don't have to listen to you. I hear you, but I don't have to listen. And being there, I don't know, there's just something there, just getting all of that off my chest because, you know, she was three. So it's like, I wouldn't talk to her negative. So why am I talking to him? That's when it clicked for me. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I'm not going to talk to her negative. So why am I doing that to myself? Because my inner child needs her healing. And that inner critic needs to like, get out of here. That is an incredible revelation to make. And to realize, first of all, that you need someone to just talk to who's not going to judge you, who's not going to talk back, who's just going to listen, to just feel heard and to find the outlet. For me, I go to my grandfather's grave 
So I get that because it's nice to have someone who makes you feel comfortable, who makes you feel loved. The memory of them doesn't make you feel the way your inner critic does. And to have that space, to find that space and to sit there and to have that revelation is incredible. So when you have that moment of clarity that I wouldn't talk to her that way, so why am I talking to myself that way? You, I know you said you changed the name like Daffy Duck, but what else did you do to start moving on and past that? Because it has to be really hard to completely drown out those voices. Not to be that guy, but I'm going to be that guy and a lot of friendships. Stop speaking to a lot of family members. Not because they're bad, but sometimes people see that version of you and they just want to keep you in that same box. And for me, it was, I was changing. And some people wasn't putting me in that position to win, right? I had some friends that was drinking, smoking, some family members that was drinking, smoking, you know. Um, and I was just like, I don't, I don't need that, that low vibration energy. I don't need that. What, let, me, let me stop hanging out with them so I can be the man that I am today. And for me, once I did that, created boundaries, really strict boundaries. I just, you know, no. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Block. <laughs> like, okay. And, um, but then also, man, it's a lot. Exercising as far as like doing a 20-minute walk or just walking, but then changing my diet and then seeing different results. And once I started seeing different results mentally, before even the physical, I just kept going. I was like, let me go down this rabbit hole and see where it takes me. I love that. I love how it's a combination of things. Because when it comes to our mental health, when it comes to healing, we always think it's this quick fix. We think we're going to walk into therapy and healed. Or someone's going to give session, us- I'm done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm done, someone's guys. going to give us a medication we're going to take it. It's like, that was the magic pill. I'm better. And it's not like that. It is a long time in the making. It is finding a bunch of different things and half of them will work. Half of them won't work. And that's okay. It's about finding a combination of things. There is not just one magic tool. And that's something that I've seen so often. I always, my grandmother loves when I talk about her, but she goes, the doctor gave her an antidepressant and she takes it and she's like, it's not working tries therapy, goes to one session, not working. And I'm like, it's not just the one quick fix, but there is such a big misconception out there that it's literally ingrained in people's heads that if it doesn't work right away, it's you and you are the problem. Yeah, it's, it's not a microwave. Exactly. It's not a process. It's a one-time quick fix. Doesn't work. It's just you and you're stuck like this. And then it causes people to beat down on themselves worse. What advice do you have for someone who kind of goes through it over and over again, who's trying and failing at finding coping mechanisms that may work for them? Healing is not a like switch, Like you just can't turn it on and it's, it's over. It's a process. I can share my story. It took me now three, three and a half years to be comfortable to heal and not only heal, but to share my story. 
Um, I, I, I don't think people understand, Fran, like someone expressing themselves in their story, you relive in that pain. And it's like, you know, the Band-Aid, you rip it off and it hurts. But, you know, I realized like it's important because I don't want people to feel like they're alone. And I don't want you to think that I'm here and, and like I went to the therapist yesterday and I'm good. Like, no, it was a process. And it's still a process. Even if you tried writing, right, it may not work for you. Try coloring. Just keep on trying and trying and trying. Um, I tried everything from journaling, coloring, um, Chinese medicine. I tried it all. <laughs> you know what I mean? From changing my diet. Now, like I'm a, a vegetarian pretty much. And just slowly just trying it out and trying it out long enough to see if it's for me or not. Like just because you did it one time doesn't mean it's going to be. I kept going. I did it for six months. Okay, this is not working. Let me try another one for six months and sticking with it. Just yes, all of that. Yes, because we, I mean, I was one of those people too. In the beginning, I was like, well, I'm going to meditate. I'm going to journal. I'm going to do yoga and I'm going to be fine. The only thing of those three that really, really worked for me the entire time to this day is journaling. Meditation helped a little bit in the beginning. Then I got to a point where sitting in silence, I couldn't do it. I just would start crying. And I was like, okay, well, then I'm stuck like this. And to know that, you know what, it's okay. That didn't work. Changing your diet up. That was one of the biggest things for me. I went and got an MRT panel to actually find out what food was sensitive with my body and learning what was not good for my gut because your gut health is connected to your mental health. Exercise, finding different exercise routines, whether it's yoga or running or a TRX ropes. I love those ropes. Um, such an advocate for them. There's Theramaster, like just moving your body in a different way. Some muscle movement might feel better than others for you. And it's okay if you focus on one muscle group for a while, or if you focus on a little bit of everything, or if you're just running or walking, finding something that makes you feel better and using it and building on it. And I think a lot of people just, they think that it's supposed to be those ones that everyone says, right? The meditation, yoga, journaling, that's it. That's really what you hear. And people are like, okay, well, that didn't work for me. Yeah. Now I'm going to take a bubble bath. That didn't work for me. What do I do? So I love how just amazing and honest you were with oh. everything. Oh, you, you're welcome. Like, honestly, I tell people, be okay sucking at it first, but give it a chance to suck at it. Like, you know, like, like what you said, right? I went to the gym and I was just like, okay, I'm gonna try everything. And it wasn't for me. But then I was like, oh, hey, what is this rowing thing? man, I was rolling my tail off like, yeah, let's go, you know? And I was like, yo, this is for me. It hit, not only did it, does it hit everything, but it just made me not think. Yeah. It just got me into that like zone that you hear that athlete talk about. And it was just like, I was in that zone of just not worrying. And that's what it's all about. Um, even like exactly what you said about the med meditation. I was like, okay, let's do this. And it wasn't for me, but then I looked at it differently. Let me color. It's, all it is, is just slowing the universe down, right? When everything is moving too fast for you, whose responsibility is it for you to slow, to slow it down? It's yours, right? And I was just like, well, let me just color. I'm slowing down the world. I'm slowing down these process, the, my thought process. And just in the moment, I'm just focused on getting these, these colors in the line and making this art looks beautiful, whether it's 
green and purple and orange and whatever. So that helps. And that's to me is a form of meditation, just slowing the world down. That's it. That is a beautiful way of reframing it. I love that. Herbie, you've been absolutely amazing. Before we wrap up in three words, describe your podcast. Man, man, that's, that's the hardest question you asked me today <laughs> in three words. Man, um, believe in yourself. <laughs> that's what I think I can say. That's what it is. It's, it's, it's I love it. But now, give us, <laughs> but now give us a quick elevator pitch on what your podcast is about and why we should go listen. So my podcast is about other alternative routes of therapy healing because i know healing is not for everyone like you know it's not a one trick one size fit all um thing so i have the pros is what i call them therapists where we normalize conversations of therapy sessions and what to expect and then i also give you knowledge on like self-care and how that looks and burnout like what is that so that's all it is it's just understanding the stigma of mental health and how can we break it I absolutely love that. Now, where can we find your podcast and connect with you? My podcast is located everywhere on YouTube, on, man, the biggest one of them all, Apple, uh, Spotify, uh, Podbean, you name it, it's there. You are absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate this. 